I gotta tell you, Dano, I, I don't know whether I hope you're right or wrong about this. I mean, if you're wrong, my friend is crazy. I mean, full-blown mental breakdown, imaginary monsters killing imaginary kids. Bonkers. But, you know, I, I, I can work with that. If you're right, though, I know. It's much worse. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait You Haven't Seen, and it's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 99, and our movie this week was supposed to be Frailty. However, I had to make a last minute change in scheduling. Thankfully, my guests were able to come on, and we're going to talk about Dr. Sleep, which I have never seen before. So joining me to talk about that, we have the wonderful Monica. Hi, Monica. Hi, Travis. What and, a delightful honor it is to be here on episode 99. Yeah. You know, that's almost as good as episode 100. It's very close, isn't it? It's 99% of the way there. And also joining us is Christina. Christina, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> this is a great movie. Let's get to it. Yeah, so I had not seen this. It just came out twenty end of 2019. Um, now, we've all seen The Shining. In fact, we all were on the show to talk about The Shining. Um, and, uh, yep, yep. But I had not seen this. Christina, you had seen it before, and Monica, you had watched it previously, correct? I saw it in the theater. Okay. Same. I watched it opening night. Oh, wow. I well, don't think I saw it opening night. I guess you win. <laughs> Not really a winning thing. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of uh, the way this goes, you won. So the the movie came out in November of 2019, um, which is weird because that was well over a year ago. Uh, yet it doesn't seem like this movie has been around for that long, partially because theaters got shut down on us all, most of last year. It didn't do great domestically or really worldwide. It had a budget of around $45 million. Um, it's U.S. gross was only thirty-one million, which is surprising because this was really good. This was a really good movie. Um, the only thing I can think of is I don't remember the marketing for this being all that great. Do either of you? I mean, there was definitely marketing. I, I mean, I was interested mainly because I loved The Shining. Well, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. The um, I can't even remember because, like, like you said, we we came on for The Shining, uh, about a little over a year ago now, and had I seen that yet? Wait a minute, no, because it came out late November, right? It was like November 9th or something. It came out, I think, just before we did the episode. Was it, it was right around the yeah. time we were doing the episode. Right. That's yep. right, because like I remember listening because two of you had read the book. And then mm -hmm. the rest of us had seen the movie. So it was like really interesting conversation that actually like, you know, made me think of the movie. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like, yeah. here's my, I have a theory about that because like, yes, I, I think this movie is great. I loved it when I watched it in theaters and when I watched it, when it came out on, uh, you know, whatever streaming thing it was on or on, I don't know what it was on, but I immediately was just like, Oh, 
you know, had Travis seen this, because it's it's just, it's so good, I forgot about it, and, you know, let's bring it back or whatever. But, so, <clears throat> in 2019, you could say that there was sort of a, <clears throat> a confluence of Stephen King book-written movies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because <clears throat> It Chapter One had come out in 2017, and uh, because it was successful, a lot of things were greenlit because of that. In 2019, the second one came out, but not only the second it, also Pet Cemetery, which came out like earlier in the year. That's right. And that made a good deal of money. Pet Cemetery made more money than this, but it was really not liked by I think a lot of people. I don't know. I didn't see it. Uh, it chapter two was also it made a crap ton of money, not as much as the the original, the first one, uh, but it um. You know, it made a great deal of money anyway, but also a lot of people that I know and, you know, within the horror community, it's also not appreciated. Uh, So on the one side of it, anybody who is paying attention, Stephen King movies, remakes of his movies, basically, is probably watching this and going like, well, then this Dr. Sleep thing can't be any good. And the other part of it, which actually, you know, it was something that occurred to me because I... You know, I didn't read the book Doctor Sleep, mm-hmm. but the um, the the movie doesn't get to you know take advantage of the fact that it is uh, what is it called uh, name recognition. It doesn't get to capitalize on the fact that it's it, and everybody knows it from the book, from the old you know miniseries mm-hmm. or Pet Cemetery, same thing. Like nobody really knows what Doctor Sleep is unless you're paying attention or you're reading the books and stuff like that. So that's another hurdle that it had to overcome in the year that was 2019. Right. But so like, these are my theories as to why it didn't make as much money as it should have. And that kind of makes sense. Now I saw Pet Cemetery, and I actually saw that in theaters and I was not, I didn't love it. I didn't hate the movie, but it definitely, there was something missing from it. Um, That didn't affect me seeing Dr. Sleep at all, but I get what you're saying. And part of it too is like doc, you know, Dr. Sleep being a sequel to the shining, but it's interesting because King wrote a book that was a sequel to his book in 2013. And this movie is a sequel to the movie that was based on his book, which is very different. And so they, they made the sequel actually closer, follow the movie plot line as opposed to the book plot line. So it's a, there's a little confusion going on there as well. Big surprise. Um, and Stephen King famously, we talked about before, did not like the original, uh, movie adaptation of the shining. No, he did not. Um, he's, he softened on that a little bit and apparently he really liked this from what I mm-hmm. read. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think you're right. There's, there's some of that name recognition and some of that, like if they had called this the shining Two, it, you know, it's not that, but if they had called it something like that or played up more, because they were really relying on a newer generation 40 years later or almost 40 years later to know The Shining and know yeah. that this is related to it. So, yeah, I think, and exactly. So, like, the people that were paying attention to it were the horror fans, mm-hmm. which is us. You know, so of course we're looking at it, we're seeing things, you know, I didn't know what it was, but I was like, oh, what's this Dr. Sleep thing? Also, Ewan McGregor, I will watch him uh, take a bath, which actually that just sounds dirty, uh, but, you know, he'll be clean. So, 
Um, I don't know where I was going with this. I lost my train of thought. <laughs> you got you got distracted by you and McGregor in the bath. I get it. I They're get studs. it. It happens. <laughs> you, you also seem to have a knife in the head. So right. Yeah. So speaking of you and McGregor, I want to talk about the cast because holy crap, it was like. This is a great cast. So you start off with Ewan McGregor. He's playing Danny Torrance. He's playing adult Dan Torrance, which also a side note, um, uh, the original Danny Torrance did have a cameo in the movie. Um, and it's only, it's like the only other acting credit he has. And he was one of the spectators at the baseball game scene that takes place in Iowa. Um, Do you know which one he was? Cause I read that too. And I went back and looked, I'm like, is he the one that talks or the one that just, I think some words. he's the one that just mumbles some words is, is mm. my guess. Um, but that's like, he's basically, he did the shining. He did some TV movie like two years later and then this. So it was interesting because they had, um, Danny Torrance in the movie and the actor that played him originally had retired from acting. They have both Jack and, um, uh, what the hell is the mother's name? <laughs> I can't remember it for some reason, but both of them are in there. Shelley Duvall and uh, Jack Nicholson have both retired from acting. So all three of those Mm -hmm. characters got recast. Which, by the way, the woman that played um, the mom, Wendy. Wendy. That's the damn name. I don't know know why like that just was gone. But the woman that played Wendy, that scene where she runs up to him after he gets off the, uh, the bench... She sounded so much like Shelley Duvall. Yeah. Like, that was incredible. Um. But yeah, so you've got these characters brought back. I, okay, I'm with you on Ewan McGregor, probably for different reasons, but I will watch him in anything. Like, I just, I, I adore him he's as an actor. He's a, he's a good looking like dude too. Don't get me wrong. Not, but. I'm not saying he's like the handsomest person in the world or, you know, the sexiest or has the bluest eyes, but I'm saying that like, it's, it's also like a mix of the fact that he's like a great actor and yes. he chooses movies and roles and stuff that are you know good yeah and and i really liked him as dan i liked because so this movie is a uh got some of the underlying tones are a lot of sobriety and getting sober and getting over the addictions and he does such a good job of playing both ends of that as dan right so because we first meet him he's at the bottom, he's just getting in drunken bar fights and shacking up with whomever and doing coke or, or whatever he was doing. Um, and he's just hit rock bottom and he comes out of it, thankfully. Uh, and then we get to see, uh, you know, a, the other version of him. And I liked, I liked that transition and I liked the, the growth that he had as a character. And McGregor is so good at being both someone you really, really like, but he can portray these dark aspects of people really well. So I just, I, I enjoyed him as an adult Dan Torrance. I thought he nailed so much of it. Yep. He, like there's a, so I got a little confused cause you know, I was in the movie theater watching it the first mm-hmm. time and you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know what it is, but you know, you won't miss something and it didn't occur to me that the chick that he sleeps with is dead oh. when I was watching the movie originally. And then later on, 
when there's like the dead person, I just assumed it was somebody who died in that room at some point. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't put it together until like the second time that I watched the movie. But I'm just like, and the fact that that kid is dead now <clears throat> is kind of because of him. Yeah. I mean, it is, but like he didn't mean for that to happen. No, that that particular scene was pretty rough. Like, there's there's some rough moments in this movie, uh, and yeah, I I can see that happening. I can see you watching, especially on the first watch, and not making that connection because, like the that okay. So the scene where he wakes she up and then dead either. Well, no, a she doesn't look dead in the scene where he wakes up in her apartment and then leaves, and then when the dead person shows up in his apartment later on, talking to him they set it up with the whole flies idea and it's obviously a dead person, but we don't know as an audience about the death flies until much later in the movie. By the time they, he talks about that, it's been an hour or an hour and a half and so much other thing, so much else has happened that you really, you, you almost don't make that connection. And then the next time through, you're like, Oh, that's right. He talked about the death flies. And so you can sort of then make the connection. So I can see that happening, but man, that, that scene was rough to watch because of the baby part. When she started saying they haven't found us yet. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no, 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 no. Let's not, we're not going there. Nope. We we went there. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the CG baby dead baby was a little, uh, wasn't perfect, but it was creepy enough. And the whole just idea of that scene was enough that I didn't care that that looked a little bit off. Um, looked like a doll. It did look like a doll a little bit, but just the, the rest of that scene is so there's so much to it. And it's just heartbreaking to think about the fact that, that that happened to that little, that little toddler. So, yeah. Um, but for him to go through that, uh, both, uh, being, being the cause of that happening and then him getting sober is, you know, it's it's a big, it's a big change for him. Sorry, I was going to say, did you notice when he, like, when he wakes up and he, because, like, I just assume he saw her vomit and got sick. When he goes to the toilet and he, there's just, like, a shot of him leaned over puking, like, over it. And it has to say, New Jersey, 2011. I'm yeah. like, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> if that's not a subtle dig at New Jersey, I don't know what is. Well, we won't go into that. Um, But just overall, like, McGregor is so good in the entirety of the movie and it, he has to be that Dan Torrance has to carry this movie because all the plot lines end up with him and a lesser actor. I just don't think um, carries a two and a half hour movie or three hours in the director's cut. We'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked him and our next, the next character we kind of meet really um, and get to know uh, is Cliff Curtis as Billy, his best friend. Um, and Cliff Curtis is another one of those guys. He shows up in a movie and I'm like, all right, I'm in. I don't, I don't have to know anything else just that he's in it, whether it was he, we, and, and on this show, um, he's popped up in bringing out the dead in training day and in a bunch of other stuff. He's always that kind of, um, he plays a character that usually, moves the plot along without being the main character. And just, I just like him. So I had to mention Cliff Curtis cause he's great. And it was unfortunate that his character had to die. Yeah. In a real crappy way. From what yeah. I understand, that's not what happens in the book, but I don't know that for certain. I haven't read it. Um, 
but yeah, that's a that's a rough one too because he sort of he shows up he he's he's really helpful to Dan and believes him and then he gets taken away right as we're really starting to get to know him as a as a character yeah. and yeah, that was probably uh my second second on my least favorite list uh was the death of Billy. Um just because you know, he has that whole scene cuz the movie really turns and on that scene where they're trying to dig up uh, the body and he's telling them the story about hunting and there's just this real great connection between the two of them. And within like the next two scenes, he's gone and it was rough. So I wasn't, uh, don't kill Cliff Curtis. Come on, let him live. <laughs> that's all. That's all I want. But yeah, Cliff Curtis was, uh, is always a win in my book. Um, Rebecca Ferguson who the entirety of the movie, I was trying to figure out why she looked familiar to me as Rose the Hat, which is a great name, by the way, Rose the Hat. Uh, I was trying to figure it out. It's She's been in um, the last two Mission Impossible movies. And that's where that's I fantastic. recognized her from. She's she, fantastic in this movie. She is amazing in this movie. I um, loved her. Honestly, I don't think any of the actors weren't. No, well, yeah. everybody brought but their A game, but like, I want to point her out especially because I loved, I just loved her. Like, you know, I feel like I am her in a lot of ways, you know, because I suck the life out of people. Well, there's a lot of me you can. Oh, never mind. <laughs> well, there was so it's an interesting character, right? Because she's got such a unique look. Um, she's got a very bohemian look to her. That hat is uh, is a cool kind of way to give some some uniqueness um i want to know more about who she is because it's kind of a mystery the whole the whole of the knot um are are basically a mystery we know nothing about them other than they they steal the steam from people um certain people and i like i like yeah Yep, those that shine and they they have the best steam, right? And it keeps them alive. But like, how does that work? Why does that work? Like, we don't know any of that based on this. So there's that mystery there, which makes me want to know more. Um, but I like that we didn't have to give everything away. So it just leads you to more more and more questions. Um, but she, like Rose, is a amazing character, and she gets a lot to do in this because there's moments where she is just. You you can't stop her. Uh, the whole scene with Andy, where uh, when they meet her outside of the uh, outside of the theater, and Andy's like, "You want to let go of me?" And she's like, "Oh no, honey, I don't." It's like, okay, so Andy has she zero power very, over her. She is so like there. There's a thing about her, like it's I don't know how to describe it because it's not overtly sexual. But it is like mm -hmm. with every oh, yeah. character she comes into contact with, like whether it's, you know, Snakebite Andy or, you know, when she's talking to um, Ewan McGregor on the stairs, it's just like, mm -hmm. ah, hi, how are you? Yeah, no, she like the, the character just of Rose, that's that's who she is. And you get some of that in the there's shorthand of that in the way that she dresses and her style and the way that she moves. And then on top of that, then you layer in her interactions with everybody has this kind of low key sexual tension to it whenever she's talking to anybody, whether it's uh, Crow Daddy or uh, Grandpa Flick. 
you know, she there, it's still there. It's still there. Like they have a history of some kind. We don't know what it is, but there's history there because she knows so much about him. So it was, I really liked that character. Plus her introduction, the opening scene with her and the, and the little girl sitting by the lake is just yeah. from the, oh, from the moment the little girl sees her sitting and she's facing away from the camera. I'm like, oh, I don't want to see what happens when she turns around. Like I'm already on edge as a viewer. Did it not give you a whole like Frankenstein feel too? Oh, absolutely. Like, and I know that's the what lake, they were going flowers for. Flowers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, just I knew nothing good was happening. Yeah, exactly. I from the second she shows up on screen, I'm like this is not going to end well and I don't know if I'm going to like it or not and it just gets worse and worse because she's so driven and ruthless. Like she just doesn't care. She's going to do what she needs to do. And then you get that wonderful scene in the supermarket where things flip and she's genuinely scared because she's like that shouldn't have happened yeah that 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 actually showed what that was meant to actually show you the power mm-hmm. that the the, the 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 girl had yeah well and then so they do that and what does she do like she's still arrogant enough that she goes after her again almost immediately and goes to her house, right? She finds her. And that's probably my favorite scene in the movie is the scene where Rose goes on her little vision quest and shows up and goes through like the, the filing cabinet and gets caught and all. Oh, that's that whole thing is just brilliant. And the hand. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ever watch Gerald game by the way? No, but I, I have heard about that one and same director. So exactly. I'm liking this Mike Flanagan guy or whatever. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about him uh, in a little bit. But uh, yeah, the D like that whole scene, though, is so well set up, right? Because you've had the scene in the supermarket. So we know that Abra is powerful and Rose is a little bit afraid of her. But Rose is like, eh, still, I'm, I'm going to go see what I can do. And she shows up and it's really set up very, very well where... I'm watching it for the first time thinking, okay, so Abra's going to do something, but I don't know what. And it feel like Rose is ready for it. And Rose wasn't ready for it. Rose was not ready for what Abra was going to do to her at all. So, yeah. I think she expected, because like, just because you're powerful doesn't mean you always, you know, you know how to control it. You know what Mm -hmm. you're doing. So I think she expected that you're powerful, but you don't know what you're doing. And, you know, I'm going to be able to counter it or to woo you like she does apparently mm-hmm. uh because that's what she does to people right she woos them with like whatever you know tempts them well and the thing there was after after she felt how much power abra had immediately rose is just like nope we got to kill her we gotta we have to take her off the board we don't want we don't want anybody with that kind of power in the knot so She's genuinely afraid of Abra. Um, they take they take her seat. That's why she mm-hmm. didn't want anyone to overthrow her. Yeah. Absolutely. Why do you think she's the most powerful one there? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, think about it. There's yeah, got to be. She probably got rid of a lot of people along the way. Yeah, that's not a mistake. <laughs> um. So yeah, and then and then of course Rose at the end shows up, and again, supremely confident when she gets there. She doesn't feel as though there's going to be anything to stop her. And then she gets angry when she figures out who Dan is because Dan, you're the one that killed my crow was her exact line. And she's angry about that. And she goes out 
in uh, in a glorious way. Like they, I I really liked what Danny uh, set up for her. That was a good way to yeah. use that. It was a wonderful setup, especially from the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So uh, yeah, I mean, just Rose. Rose is a great character. The actress playing her, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's fantastic. Her accent was kind of weird to me and it fits so well like that gave away how old of a character she is because I could never quite place what her accent was supposed to be because there was times where it sounded very American and then all of a sudden there'd be a, a little bit of Irish or a little bit of British in there and and it was I and uh even like a touch of Norwegian or Swedish um kind of Norse in some of the ways that she would pronounce certain things so it's that type of thing where it's like when you have a character that's super, super old, been around for a long time, I like when they do that with accents. Highlander did that uh, with Lambert, partly because his accent was so weird, but they also wanted to make it sound like you couldn't tell where he was from. And they sort of did that with her. And then just visually, her style, wearing the the different um, shirts or skirts that she would wear. She always has that hat on. She had like stuff woven into her hair that were almost like trophies. She had like a bike chain woven into a part of her hair. Um, so it was like, it was interesting. She was just a really cool character. She was very protective of that hat too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I want to know more about like, why is the hat magical or not? Because she talks about the hat being magic and we see her take it with the, in the scene with Violet and she takes the hat off and she's showing it to her like there's nothing in there but then we get the reverse shot of it and there's just a bunch of flowers sitting in the bottom of it. So it's like okay so maybe it's not actually a magical hat type of thing. Um but it's like I want to that's the thing. I want to know more. I want to know more about Rose the hat. I want to know what the hat is. I want to know her backstory because it's it, it's interesting to me. They gave me just enough um to make me want to know more. That's good writing. Now, what what did you know more uh, about those people? Sorry. Oh yeah, no, I, totally. Um, what did you think of Kylie Coran as Abra? Um, let's start with Monica. Monica, what did you think of Abra? I, um, I also loved her. I thought she was older than she was. Well, maybe the actresses. I didn't actually check that. But like I thought she was like 15 or something and she's actually like 13. I mean, it's not that much of a difference the kid it is, you know, that 2 years is is a difference. Um Well, she was born in uh Kylie Coran was born in 2005, so she would have been like 13, 14 when they were filming this. Yeah. So she was like the actual Um she was just for her to just that pure, like unadulterated, the way that she, I, I love how I'm having a, a difficult time placing the words for this, but she, she kind of like, she just like, she knew her power. She knew who she was. She was like firm as a 13 year old. She knew exactly who she was, mm-hmm. how powerful she was. She had like a sense of like right and wrong and uh, just, the mischievousness the you know like just god her attitude like the scene 
after after crow in the car or whatever and she's walking and like rose shows up or whatever and mm-hmm. like you know she's standing in the road and like calls her you know the b word and she just looks at her and then she just walks right through her and it's just that face that attitude that yeah. that's that's abra like just so freaking much i'm gonna Full name my confidence. first daughter <laughs> Yeah, to to have that much self confidence at thirteen mm-hmm. is incredible. Oh, um, please, especially I mean, she had great parents, so that helps. But well, and it's interesting because the way that the relationship with the parents was set up, they were supportive, but yet she kept things like the shining away from them. However, the mom was curious about it because when she talks about the grandma and she just point blank asks her, like, "Look, is is she gonna pull through this?" knowing that Abra probably has some sort of insight into it, but they, they sort of don't talk about it. So it's it's weird. They're supportive, but it's not like they're fostering these abilities in her. Yet Abra's... they don't want to think about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's strange and different, and it's, it's scary to, to them. The world? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How are they going to be like, I mean, they're not thinking about this, what happens in the movie, but even so, like you're thinking in, in as a parent, like, you know, how do I protect my child? How do you, what do you even do? Like, how does that even, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, so and, this was like and, a nightmare probably. Yeah. And they definitely know hey, something at- because look at the way the dad reacts when, uh, when they show up and he's immediately like, I'm just going to punch this guy out. And then she shows him a vision in his head. He's on board pretty much right after that. Uh, so it, it, it worked. I don't but think yeah. it was just a vision though. It wasn't just like she, she, like, I think he felt it too. Well, yeah. Like the way that she felt like all the pain and everything that was going on, the way that she not only saw certain things, but like, like, cause those pictures don't tell you anything unless you know the story. Mm -hmm. So like, I feel like she, she gave him like, it was like a story and pictures Mm -hmm. and a feeling. And it was just, it's, it's probably just some kind of like psychic thing. I don't, I don't know. My, my psychic abilities aren't that strong. I mean, (laughs) the way that I felt that the story was trying to be told is that, she gave him not the vision and everything that she felt exactly Mm -hmm. step by step, not just, Hey, here's what I saw, but here's everything. This is what happened. Yeah. And then that, that is why he was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. You could see that the, the pain. Oh my gosh. Um, The, the, the actor for the dad was superb for that scene. Yeah. Yeah, He really only has a couple of scenes, but he, the dad, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, he dies off I, screen. Well, I mean, we you see, do him, see but... his body. Yeah. <laughs> but he's killed off screen. Yeah. I mean, he could still be dying. We don't know. So true. No, no. He... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm just being funny. But go ahead. Um. But yeah. No. I I I liked her. I liked Kylie Coran. Uh. I thought that she did a good job portraying the confidence that she had. I feel like they wanted to try and make it seem like she was a little scared at first, but then I then I I watched it a second time today, and I realized that no, even at five years old, she's got confidence because she's telling the the stage magician that's at her five year old birthday party, you know, I can do that too, and then she makes all the spoons stick to the ceiling and and all of that, and watching it the second time, that scene was interesting because she's all proud of herself you know, as a five-year-old would be, it's got these abilities. And then she sees the look on her parents' face and she gets immediately sad and stops using the powers because she can tell 
how much it, it's affecting them. So, yeah, I liked her. I liked the character, and I liked her a lot. Um, was, there, there wasn't a bad casting choice in this. One of my favorite, though, was Carl Lumley as Dick Halloran. Because you were gonna like him, <laughs> he so I like that actor already, but he did such a good job of being like Scatman, who played the character, but not just doing an impression of Scatman Crothers. He really brought and Carl Lumley's got this kind of presence about him that just brings like a, a grandfatherly gravitas to stuff, so he's perfect for that kind of role and. And he just uh, every scene he's in, uh, I loved, loved it. Yeah, yeah. When he first showed up, the first thing I heard from you was, "Nice." Yeah, yeah. He's he's great. He nailed the character. This movie did a great job of balancing an homage to The Shining without being a rip off of The Shining. They did a great job of attention to detail when they rebuilt sets from the overlook hotel or in the casting of characters that would have been in that movie. I mean, I already mentioned um, Wendy and how much her, uh, her portrayal of Wendy just nailed it. And now you get Dick Halloran who shows up and he gets his few scenes and he gets to be the, the wise old, you know, grandfather character. And he's, he's great at it. Um, But it's, it's, it's combination of the writing, but it's it's Carl Lumley playing that character that that does yeah. it. And the other characters, much like Faye was saying earlier, like the other characters are great too. Um, just to name a few, Gramps, uh, Barry the Chunk, which I really didn't pay too much attention, Snakebite <laughs> Andy, and Crow. <laughs> I had to do it. I'm sorry. Well, you know, so did either of you recognize Grandpa Flick? Yes, because I've Cause, seen Gerald's game. <laughs> well, I'm not even talking about from Gerald's game. He goes back further than that. Uh, for any oh, yeah, Star Trek, for any Star Trek: The Next Generation fans, he was Mister Holm, and also Adams Family fans, he was Lurch in the two Adams Family movies. Yes, Carl Strucken, um, seven foot tall dude, still kicking. But yeah, he he um, is great uh, in this role. But I loved him as Lurch. And I loved him as Mr. Holm. Uh, it was nice to have see him in a movie where he got to talk. Because I'm so used to seeing him play those two roles where he's basically mute. That it was a little different. Now, I haven't seen Gerald's game, but I know he's in that. Uh, he's worked with Mike Flanagan before. so. But I had to bring him up because he's, he's awesome, big, tall dude. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention Bruce Greenwood, um, who just has one, one short scene, or I guess... Two parallel scene, <laughs> but he first of all, Bruce Greenwood always a win. Like anytime he pops up in something, you know it's going to be good. He's going to do a Gerald good job. Game, yes, by the way, sorry, which is bringing this up. But it's probably why he was thought of for this movie if he'd worked with Flanagan before. Um, but I loved because it's not it's not stunt casting to bring in somebody like Bruce Greenwood for a small role like that it's a it's a nice piece of uh we'll give this character to someone who's got really good acting chops and then on top of that they throw him into a scene where he's in that office and that office is the exact office from the shining right down to what was on the desk like that was cool 
Um, that was another one of those moments where I'm like, okay, all right, I see what you're doing here, movie. That's good. I, I can get behind that. Um, and he's he's good. He's got that little bit of a Northeast accent going on. Um, not enough to be a cartoon character, but enough that it fits his character. And I just I just like seeing him pop up in anything. So that was that was like cast top to bottom is just one hit after the other. There's nobody miscast in this movie, I don't think. Now, some of the not um, characters, I wish, again, we had just gotten more of. Because it's really uh, Grandpa Flick, Crow Daddy, Rose the Hat, and we get a little bit of whatever his name was, uh, Bubba the Chunk. I don't know. <laughs> Barry. 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 Barry the Chunk, Bubba the Love Sponge. I don't know. Whatever. But... Um, they're really the only ones, I, I guess, in uh, Snakebite Andy um, that have, but you've got like four or five other characters that are part of that group that I don't even think have a, uh, a line of dialogue in the entire movie. Nope, I don't even think they're named. They're named in the credits, but we never hear their names. Right. They're pretty much there to be cannon fodder for the shootout scene, which was another really good scene, by the way. Um, I really, I liked the, the staging of that and setting that up. And it was nice to have uh, a little bit of an action sequence or a more actiony oriented sequence in there to break up the pacing and kind of move things along. Yep. That was, that was really well done with the bunny. Oh, that was, that was a great swerve. I kind of could see, I had some idea of what they were doing, um, cause they weren't terribly subtle with it no um because no, I mean, they were already showing oh she can project herself and show mm-hmm. herself and and see her like this so oh so that's probably what they're going to do yeah um but yeah that was a that was a great scene now my other favorite scene was actually uh the moment where dan kind of possesses her body in the van and takes out crow crow dad um, just because that's my favorite scene. Stop stealing all my favorite scenes. That's your favorite scene. It's a good that's, scene. It's, it's so good. I wrote this down. Look, it's a scene in the car is so effing good. Uh, <laughs> her with his eyes. Yes. Oh my god. And that's right before like she walks through her too, because like that whole thing, like, ugh. yep. I feel hungover. Uh, I feel hungover. <laughs> I haven't felt this way in years. Wait, how do you know what it feels like to be hungover? <laughs> well, I liked it. Yeah, and I liked it because they kept showing, they they showed him reach for the the gun a couple of times, and the first time watching it, I didn't notice that his seatbelt was unbuckled. But when I watched it the second time, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, that's that's pretty cool that he notices that, and that's enough to, like, it's a great way to take out a uh, somebody too. I mean. Somebody with full of arrogance. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. fully, fully arrogant. Oh, I'm not just, I'm just not going to wear a seatbelt. Well, then you're going through the windshield, son. Um, I do want to know how Crow decided that he would go to the house and send everyone else out to the campsite. Like, I want to know what that trick, because he mentions I've got tricks of my own. Was his trick, the he, trick of his own just divide and conquer? <laughs> because. No, he, he was a tracker. Yeah, I know he was a tracker. So he, once he could get her, her scent, he knew where she was. Hmm. I suppose. 
Yeah, and then there was that scene right before that where, like, Rose... Rose, she sits on the thing. I don't know how much she knew, but maybe she was preoccupied with whatever, but she said, okay, Crow Daddy. And as soon as, like, they parked the, the little Winnebago or whatever, like, I should have realized that Crow Daddy doesn't get out of the driver's seat either. Oh, I noticed that right away. the first time I watched it, I did not realize that at all because I, I just wasn't looking. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't think about him because everyone was getting shot and stuff. And I was thinking he was going to come up behind the guys in the forest. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I wasn't expecting that. him to be at the house at all. Yeah, um, that's what the movie wanted to happen. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the like, so, all right. This movie's two and a half hours long, um, which I think also is part of what hurt it at the box office. Because long movies like that that aren't a tentpole franchise thing like The Avengers are a hard sell in a theater. It's also a slow start. Mm -hmm. Well, so yeah, but that, that aside, like it's hard to sell somebody to go see a two and a half hour long, uh, movie in a theater in the first place. I know a lot of people that don't even want to see two hour long movies, let alone two and a half hour. Are there people who really look at the time of a movie before they go and see it? A, if they want to see a it? A lot of people do. A yes. lot of people. That's that is, really weird. I that never knew not, that. That is not uncommon. I didn't even look at the, how long the movie was, unless like I have to time when I have to, you know. But just, and here's my other thing, because when, when people say that it's like, oh, it's so, it's so slow, or it's so long, and all that, I'm just like, are you a fan of the first movie? Because nothing is slower than the original Shining. That movie is like but painfully it, slow sometimes. I love the movie so much. I've watched it a ton of times. But it is painfully slow at times. You're not wrong, but you here's know? here's the thing. So that movie came out in 1980. 2019, audiences have different expectations. You can't, you can't assume that the same audience is going to uh, go to both movies. So but they're going to see the first movie is what I'm trying to say. But not necessarily. We already talked about the fact that name recognition, if you don't know that this is connected to The Shining and you're just at the movie theater and you see Dr. Sleep and it's two and a half hours point. long. If they don't know what the movie is, then they're not going to watch it. But the people who did go to see the movie were the ones that watched it. No. Were the Dr. horror fans. Hey, wasn't it the guy that was in with the Avengers? <laughs> but here's the thing. No, see, there are people that will go to a when you could go to movie theaters, the the multiplex, and just see what's playing. And they'd be there, and they'd see Dr. Sleep. They wouldn't know it's connected to The Shining, and they'd see that it's two and a half hours long, and they're just not going to go see it. On top of the fact that this movie really is two kind of movies in one. It, the first hour is a much slower-paced build. It's a slow burn. It's building up. It's giving us our backstory. It's building the world. It's letting us know who Danny is. It's letting us know who Abra is and who Rose is. And at about the hour, hour and 10 mark is when it picks up and it becomes uh, another thing. Now, I am eternally happy that they did not try to cut it down. They did not try to make it an hour and 45 minutes or something like that. They let it be what it is. Yeah, I don't think they could have got... It wouldn't have been as good of a movie. No, not at all. Not at all. And from what I read, so there is a director's cut of this movie, which is three hours long. And from what I read about that, and I want to watch it, is it doesn't add anything new, but it expands on what is already good about the movie. So it's another, 
25 to 30 minutes of runtime of building more characters, building more relationships, making the stuff that's happening in this movie matter even more. And I'm fine with that. I can understand why they wouldn't want to put out a three hour movie in the, in the theater though. That definitely would, would uh, be rough. Like Avengers was hard enough of a sell at three hours. It honestly was. I know people that were like, I'm not going to go see it in the theater. It's three hours. So I just, I, mm, yeah, I didn't feel like it was that long though, but yeah, you know, it wasn't, what I'm saying is that it didn't even feel as long as it was either. So, um, when I, when I'm, when I'm reading like people saying that it felt long, that's what I don't. No, it's going to depend. You're, you like the I'm first... talking about like reviewers too because these right. are the people who go and they watch movies and they've seen this one before and the fact that they think like it's a long slog and it's not obviously because we all like the movie right yes but you have to you have to think yeah. about the mindset of the person writing that too because if somebody comes into this movie thinking oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not it's going to feel longer than saying oh this is a sequel to The Shining and it's got Ewan McGregor in it and I'm, I'm ready to go it's not going to feel as long so, you know, it, some of it depends on that. It's a good movie. It's really, really good. And it does not need to be shorter than it is. I understand why some people slept on it in the theater. No pun intended. Um, but I do think that it will go on to be a well-liked movie. It's got a, a good rating on things like Rotten Tomatoes and um, from audiences and IMDb and whatnot. And I think that as more people see it, uh, it will it will garner that kind of cult following that it deserves because it's a really well-constructed movie. They did such a good job, as I talked about earlier, of kind of paying homage to Kubrick and his style while updating it to a 21st century movie. So it's not just, we're going to make a movie that's like Kubrick. It was, we're going to incorporate things that Kubrick did into this new story and add some of our own visual elements. So visually... This movie looks like it cost a lot more than forty-five million dollars to make. The overpan to the overlook was gorgeously shot. The the lead up, uh, yeah. So those yeah. are actually, yeah. Th- those are shots from the first movie. So the the going over the island, the going up the mountain on the car, those were shots they took from the original movie. They color graded them day for night and digitally added snow. So that's part really? of why. Yeah, I was reading about that last night. I'm a little disappointed now, actually. Yeah, it would have been nice if they like. Just that's really it. disappointing. I I respect the movie a little bit less. But those were those were like the only shots they reused because they even they reshot the axe going through the door. Um, they like all the stuff that took place <laughs> in the first movie. Aside from those shots, they reused, or they didn't reuse. They redid. I should say, like. But we're talking about, like, the big scenes, not, like, an axe going through a door. Like, you know, the epic going in on over the thing and the bridge and when they're driving. Whatever. Anyway, but just, like, that is that is slightly... I thought it was something new, and I kind of liked that. Yeah, I thought that they had reshot it almost yeah, scene for At scene. night or something. Yeah, that was very close to it. I didn't realize it was an exact... That, that's what I read that it, they, they took the original shots for, and it was only like three shots, but they're long. 
and they took those and they regraded them day for night and they digitally yeah. added snow. But then you look at the rest of the stuff that they did. I mean, rebuilding the bar scene, rebuilding the overlook sets, um, the all of that stuff. That just this painstaking detail of all of that. They redid the um, so the the blood elevator is not a shot from the original movie. They actually redid right. that because they wanted to show it from Rose's height perspective instead of Danny's. Yeah. yeah. You you could also see that the, the blood coming out was different and not as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's because true. Because if I remember right, in the original, it came from both sides, whereas in this, it only came from the left. I remember it coming mm-hmm. from the left, at least to start in the original. Right. But... They just, they did such a good job of recreating the feel, even little things like there's a, there's a moment where Abra is sitting on her bed and she's looking at the paperwork for missing baseball boy, Brandon or whatever his name is. And then she leans back and the camera, they they do a lot of this kind of camera following somebody, um, switching kind of her perspective. But when she leans back, it felt like a, a shot that Kubrick would do. And I kept waiting for there to be some sort of like a jump scare or something every time she would lean back. And of course they didn't do it, but they did that like two or three times with her. And I love stuff like that. There were, there were so many of these little shots that were like, Oh, that's, that's totally something Kubrick would do where it's like Dan's writing on the, the slate wall. And as he's in the that's middle, my favorite part. you keep taking all my favorite parts. That's <laughs> they're good. Oh, I... I can show you my notes, but the, he's writing on the board and then it pans away from him to the door. And then he walks back into frame and then it pans back. Like, that's such a Kubrick shot right there. I'm sorry, Monica. Yeah. I don't mean to be taking all your fire. We apparently like the same no, thing. It's, it's definitely a labor of love. Yes. 100%. You can tell. This is somebody who likes Stephen King's writing. Obviously, if you look at uh, Flanagan's uh, work, this is not the first. Yeah. I mean, he did Gerald's Game. And then what was the other one? Um the Haunting of Hill House? Haunting of Hill House. Oh, no. Did you mean Stephen King? Um, well, the Stephen King stuff oh, he, he did. he did a movie I really like, too. He did a movie called Hush. Mm, right. That's really, I really like, it's a small movie. It's just it's very simple, but, like, it's terrifying, and, like, everybody should go watch it. But That was the one he did after I Oculus, I didn't know that was him. Right? What? O- that was after Oculus, because he did that, too. <sighs> This is, this was 2016. Okay, yeah, because I think Oculus was like 2013, 14, right in there. I've never seen Oculus though. I it's only really good. I I have not seen it, but I know about when it came out because it was one of the first movies Karen Gillan did after she left Doctor Who. Ooh, and I enjoyed it. It's it's on my list of ones that I'd like I would like to see. And now that I've seen a Mike Flanagan movie, I'm I'm on board for more of his stuff. So. Oh yeah. He's he's got a he's he's got a great aptitude for you know this kind of story and and st- the other thing is is that like you know haunting of Hill House that's like based on a book and you know Stephen King stuff based on a book Gerald's Game based so like I I like that he takes I guess a lot of these things are just already you know stories which always coming from a book has such a richer you know lore for lack mm-hmm. of a better word you know <coughs> great well, bones. To build a movie. It shows that he is good at adapting a story to a film medium, which is not an easy task to do. It's hard to take a book and make a movie out of it and have that movie be 
you you know fairly universally enjoyed. There's always there's always going to be people. Well, the book is better. Well, maybe, but the book is different, and I like that. I like that he took, and I mentioned this earlier, but I like that he took a a book that was a sequel and made the movie sequel based off of the movie as much as it was the book, because there are elements like one of the things that they left out that I read about was in the book is Aber calls Dan, uncle Dan. Right. And the whole thing is like, well, if anyone sees us sitting here at the bench, my name's Abra and you're my uncle. Apparently in the book, he was actually her uncle. Like it turned out that Jack had an affair before the, the events of the shining and Abra's mom was Danny's half sister, but they didn't know at the time. Like he didn't know about that until later on. So that was an interesting, that's a, that, that's, it doesn't serve the story any, I don't think, other than to make some sort of a link between um, Danny's abilities and Abra's abilities, maybe. But that would be about the only thing. I, but I, I like the idea that it's just random who has it and who doesn't. You don't need that, that kind of blood relation link to make, oh, that's, because then it's like, oh, that's why she can shine, because she's his half, you know, his, his niece or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting that I read that and I'm like, oh, okay. So in the book, he's actually her uncle Dan. Actually, because of what, uh, what's his name? Uh, Halloran says his grandmother had it. So she's the one that would talk to him and explain things about like the boxes and stuff. So it kind of can be, I guess, in a relation type. I don't know if that's genetic or whatever. I don't know. Well, it could, yeah. Yeah, no, it can be, but I like the idea that it doesn't have to be. Like, we don't have to... Well, I mean, that's anything, isn't it? Like, but, I could have blue eyes. But we don't have to do the Star Wars thing of making everybody a Palpatine or a Skywalker, right? <laughs> not everybody. Not Our everybody has aptitude. to be. Yeah, not Stop everybody has to be related. <laughs> so I, I liked that part of it. And, you know, it's... Look, this is a good movie, and you, you owe it to yourself. If you are a fan at all of The Shining or of Stephen King movies or of just good suspenseful move uh horror style movies watch this movie because this was good i can't believe i didn't see it in the theater i'm kind of mad at myself for that yeah and the nice thing is is anything that you need to know that was from the original the movie shows you yes oh, you can the stairwell scene oh that's the so good scene. yes so parallel i love the parallel homages it's just so because that's that. Remember when we did The Shining? That was like one of my favorite parts. With the, I'm just gonna bash your brains in, mm-hmm. and this is all like, where have you been, handsome? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's all like, <laughs> so great. Yep, it's uh. and, and the holding of the bat. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, and the axe. The axe, the axe, not the bat. Yes. Yeah, it's just well, it's she, a great. He had a bat. He had an axe. So yes. either way, axe. Mm-hmm. it would yeah. But what? What was I going to say? I'm like, also, if you haven't seen this movie and you're listening to this, like, why are you well, listening to this? That, that's your own fault. Spoiler. But <laughs> I think what Christine is saying is like, you can watch this movie having not seen The Shining and you're still going to enjoy this movie. You don't have to have seen that in order to enjoy this movie, which can happen sometimes with sequels. It gives you a whole lot more. And you're more invested in this character because you've seen him as a little kid. And then we get him as a little kid at the beginning of the movie, which some of those were some great scenes too. When he gets up off the couch, when he, after he has the meeting with uh, Halloran who shows him the boxes 
and he gets up off the so then the next scene they're watching cartoons and he gets up off the couch and heads for the bathroom and old lady ghost is in there just the confidence he walks in there with is great because he's just like you can almost see the smirk on his face as he's closing the door and then that slow pull back and then you hear the ghost screaming as he puts her in the box like i love that i also liked and i made a note of this there were a couple of lines that get reused in this movie as callbacks and one of them was Right after they give Snakebite Andy the steam and she wakes up the next morning and they're on the beach and Rose is talking to her and she goes, am I still human? And Rose is like, do you care? Do you care? Then later on, they do the same thing where, where, you know, Dan asks Haller and he's like, so what happens to him in the box? Did they die? And he just looks at him like, do you care? I love that. That was such a great parallel because... Ah, it's just really good. And I can tell that you liked that as well. So I took are another one from you. I'm sorry. No. Like, are you like, have you linked into my computer and you're reading all of them? Maybe. I literally have it right here. Do you care? I'm just like, <laughs> we didn't even watch the movie together. That's the best part. <laughs> that is the best part. Like we're both, and we're still picking out the same things. That tells you how good the movie is, how well made it is. Um. Okay. So I mentioned the scene with the baby, with the toddler, uh, and how that was a rough one to watch. But, oh boy, was that scene with the baseball boy tough. Oh, yeah. Now, I read, take this with a grain of salt, because this is a, this is like IMDb trivia, but according to Flanagan, it was one of the toughest scenes he's ever had to direct. Um, obviously, killing a child is a little tough. Um, Rebecca Ferguson talked about it being a really tough scene to do. She doesn't... She she wasn't super keen on the idea of child violence, but she liked this the way this character was written so much. She was able to kind of do that. But I guess that the rumor was, or the, the trivia that I read was that the kid that was playing Brandon was so convincing in that scene that it scared the cast because he was screaming and doing all this stuff. And then he just hopped up after they called cut and went over to the craft services table, like high-fiving his dad. Meanwhile, the rest of the cast is like, what just happened? So Great act. I want that to be true, because if it is, that's an awesome story. <laughs> that the kid just scared them all. Because he was, yeah. that that scene is just, oof. Like, it's tough, and it's kind of uncompromising in a lot of ways. Because it doesn't. To be honest, I, I fast forwarded through that part this time, because I was like, I... Yeah, I don't need to see it's that again. Very tough scene. It's rough yeah, because no it, like, it's not it's, just killing; it's the pain. You know what I mean? They're not just killing him; they're torturing him. Right. And that's just I that's, can't. That's the thing. Like I it's can't. enough that it's violence. Okay, so so uh, step one, it's just violence, which is always hard. I don't care. But two, it's violence against a child, and then three, it's not just violence against a child; they're torturing this kid. And torture purifies the steam. Yeah, it's like it's tough, but watching it that first time, like you just, I don't know, you get a lot out. It's not easy. It's not an easy thing to watch. So I totally get why you would fast forward through it, and I don't blame you for that at all. Um, not at all. But yeah, it's of the of the scenes in the movie that's easily the the most difficult thing for me to watch was was that whole sequence, and then of course they go back to it. And even the the scene where they're going to dig up the 
the kid's body is rough because here he is telling him the story about the hunting and the smell and then their reactions because it, way too often in movies and TV, when somebody finds a dead body buried in the ground like that, the reaction doesn't feel like how somebody should react to that. This felt real. These two guys who, you know, really have no business finding a dead body like this. And they're both retching and like cowering away from it. Every, every time something is revealed first, it's just a shoe and then it's a hand and, and all that. Like, that's how I would react if I was digging somewhere, even, even going there looking for that, knowing that's what I'm going there for. It's still going to probably get that kind of reaction on me. So this movie did a good job of getting visceral, visceral reactions out of me. And that is a testament to the filmmaking, in my opinion. The, I just, I really liked the movie. You know me, I'm, I'm so, I'm more of a sensory type person, I guess. (laughs) And watching this, it gave me like these great feelings of the original movie, that original world, you know, with the maze and the whole isolation thing. And it opened it up. It opened up that small world. Right. And, you know, it actually showed, I guess it showed like real isolation, like the way it looks to us, as opposed to like being stuck in a mountain somewhere with your dad or whatever. Um, But just like how these people are, there's people all around these people, but they're they're all alone, really. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, just really, yeah, it, like, as much as, like, you're watching it, I'm like, oh, I totally want to be Abra. Like, I want to have, like, The Shining. I want to, like, kick ass or whatever. It's very lonely. Like, if you know that there's people coming after you and there's no, like, how long did it take her to find Danny, who was the only other person she knows right now that has it? And, you know, how do you find other people like you without finding more people like Rose the Hat, right? Exactly. And not only that, but Danny's actively trying not to find other people like him. And his first advice to her is stop shining, stop doing what you're doing and go hide. Because Mm -hmm. he's gone through that and it messed him up for a long time. So, yeah, because that was the thing I sort of touched on a little bit. And there are undercurrents of because the first movie had a lot of undertones about uh addiction which makes sense given what stephen king was going through when he was writing the book because he was definitely uh going through his drinking and coke addictions i believe at the time and you know this was about sobriety and about kicking those addictions and and how that can be and that's basically because that's kind of what danny i mean literally danny goes through having to get sober and do it for eight you know, eight years or whatever that he had done. I think the only other thing I wanted more of in the movie though, would have been more with him in the, in the hospice. Cause that was a cool, uh, neat little subplot that they, they didn't go into a ton. They only show him do it a couple times, but I liked that. Plus you get the title drop of Dr. Sleep. Yep. And I, I love that cat. Oh yeah. And that's of course based off of a real story. That's based off yeah. of a, a cat that was in a hospice situation like that that would go into the rooms of people um, that were going to that would then pass away. Which uh, I read was some of the inspiration for the book as well. On top of just people asking Stephen King, what, hap- what happened to Danny Torrance after The Shining? 
Yeah, my favorite scenes were the the hospice scenes with the cat and him going and helping send off the patients, uh, and then also the bar scene in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Where he oh gets yeah, to, yeah. That was like almost poetic. The lines that they had there, oh, it was yeah. just so, so like you know, uh, man takes a drink, drink takes a drink, then the drink takes the man or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was just like. Oh. Yeah, and I guess that's another one where in the director's cut they expand on that more. And I know I saw still frames of uh, the two of them in the red bathroom. Um, oh. So I, I'm I'm curious. I'm really curious to see the the director's cut of this because I like oh, the movie yeah. so much. And if it just from the review that I read said it takes everything that's good about Doctor Sleep and just gives you more of it, then I'm all for it. So. You know, at some point, I'm going to have to watch that. The yeah, this grand, is a... the... Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. The grand shots of this movie, just the way that it, like, swoops down in from the beginning mm-hmm. and all the scenes where uh, Rose the Hat is, like, flying around the earth or whatever, looking for, like, all of these amazingly, like, grand scenes, like, the just so beautiful, the just, wow, yeah. I'm yeah. I'm in love with the way that this movie looks too. Yeah, the visuals you know, of this just, movie. It's it's a world that I kind of want to live in. Like I wish I it's sad like that the end of the movie is the end of the movie, right? But you know, I want to I want to live there. I want to live where there's like a power and there's people doing good and, you know, fly through the hair with the greatest of ease or whatever. Just uh yeah, no, I I love I love the look of this. It, again, it's what I was saying earlier, where it's got Kubrick feel to it without just being a ripoff of his style. Because it had its own shots as well. It has its own stuff. I mean, when Rose is coming up to her bedroom and floating in, and all of a sudden she flips a like 180 degrees and comes in upside down into the room and lands, and the way they did all of that, like it just. It looks good. It, the sound in this movie was really well done. It was all mixed very well. The the moments that where they would give you some sort of a, a jolting sound worked without feeling cheap. There were no cheap jump scares in this at all. What they used for jump scares fit. He and made worked. it a point to not do it. He didn't want any jump scares. Mike Flanagan or whatever. Yeah. He, he, yeah. He didn't want it to be like like depending on those things. Right. And, and it, I like that. I, do, I don't need them. No. I will be scared of a normal scene. Well, that's just it. Like, okay. So one of the first shots, one of the first scenes is young Danny riding his big wheel through the, through the hotel when he stops in front of room 237 and the door opens up. Now a, a modern horror film is going to have crazy lady come flying out of that room. Right after the door opens up and it's going to be some sort of weird, like, yeah, it's going to have jerky camera movements or her movement is weird or something like they didn't do that. It's this really slow. She just appears out of the darkness coming towards him. And I'm like, that's scarier to me. Uh, that feeling of dread. Yep. So I'm glad that he didn't want to do jump scares in this. It made it better. Yeah. Impending doom versus instant fright. Yeah, exactly. Plus, it's easier to watch, too, because you're not constantly worried about all of a sudden getting your eardrums blown out if you're watching it with headphones on or something. Yes. 
Because, like, when it comes to the jump scares, like, it's just, like, you're just, like, you're too worried about, like, looking around. Because, like, you know, you know I scream whenever anything happens. Even, even slightly. And that'll just blow out your eardrum to begin with. But the slow creep, like, that's what creates the... Oh, yeah. No, you absolutely. And you're waiting. You're waiting for that jump scare to happen, and then it doesn't happen. So, yeah. It, it, it's great. Look, it's good. It's a good movie. Watch the movie. If you haven't watched it already, why are you listening to us talk about it? Go watch it. And if you have seen it, you yeah, already yeah, know yeah. what we're talking about. So, it's a good one. And, and I do feel like it's, uh, you know, even though it came out in 2019... More people should have seen this by now, especially the last year where you can't go anywhere anyway. So it got um, really popular on streaming services, actually, which I'm I'm happy to hear that. I really am because it deserves it. Uh, And unfortunate that I guess uh, the other thing that I read was that before the movie debuted, they were um, Warner Brothers was giving Flanagan a green light to do a Dick Halloran like prequel about his life and then the movie didn't do very well and I don't know what's going to happen with that now. But yeah. I'd be interested to see that and you could get Carl Lumley again and I would watch it because I will watch him in anything. He's great. Did you hear though about uh, that it was also confirmed that he was interested in directing a sequel focused on Abra? I'd watch that. The Adventures of Abra yep. Stone. That would be great. Yeah, like I said, I'm going to name my first child Abra. Because, you know, Stone, get it? No, there you go. No one. Abra, it'll actually be Abra Stone. Or my next cat, who knows, whatever. The point is... Cat or child, one somebody. or the other. Cat, cat. Yeah, yeah, Abra, <laughs> But I yes. want to reach out and grab you. It's a great movie. Uh, it really is. It really is a good movie. Take take the time, watch it. Don't let the two and a half hour runtime dissuade you. It's it's really good. Um, so yeah, uh, I want to thank both of you guys for coming on to talk about this and on short notice too. I appreciate that. We had yep, yep. we had this planned uh, for like the end of March to do, and you were both very gracious and willing to uh, switch that to today. Finding out about it yesterday, so I appreciate that. Um, and I know that last week I had mentioned that we were going to be doing frailty with Paige from the reverie true crime podcast. We are still doing that. That is going to now be at the end of March. We're going to watch that movie. So that's still happening. That's coming up. Uh, I don't know about eight weeks or so now next week, next week is episode 100 of this show. Uh, I actually made it to a hundred episodes, which it's kind of surprising. Party time. So, we're watching another movie I've never seen before. However, this one is a movie that surprises people that I've never seen it, and kind of surprises me too that I haven't seen it, uh, because it's typically on top or within the top ten of most of your best films of all time lists. So next week for episode one hundred of Wait You Haven't Seen, I am going to watch for the first time. The Shawshank Redemption. You haven't seen The Shawshank Redemption? I have not seen The Shawshank oh, Redemption. Yeah. So that's what we're that's what and we're Monica doing next heard week. Monica hadn't seen The Shawshank <laughs> Redemption. She was shocked. <laughs> and could not believe. 
So joining me is going to be uh, Keith and Charlie. We're going to talk about that in part because when I said, you know, I've never seen that movie before, Keith had the hold on a second kind of moment and yelled at me in my house that I hadn't seen that movie. So we're going to watch that next week. That is that is episode 100. Uh, and I really hope uh, that you'll stop by and watch uh, the live taping of that because I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, I have... I have good feelings about the movie, but I just, I don't, I don't know yet. And I finally get to take that off my list of shame. So that's next week. Uh, episode 100. I can't, I still can't believe I've done a hundred of these or I will have by next week. So it's a great accomplishment, Travis. We're proud of you. Well, thank you. Now, Monica, you do a couple shows right now. Um, I do. Well, tell people where they can find them. And what they're about. Oh, yes. I do um, I do a Heroes of the Storm podcast called Q for Fun. So you can check that out on your podcatcher of choice. We got a new episode come out today. Um, and I do a Hearthstone show called Hearth Casual. And that will have a new episode this Friday premiering at 5 p.m. on Warcraft Radio. So you can check that out there or catch it on the download, I think, on... Friday night or Saturday, it'll go up. Um, and I also work on America's Next Top Podcaster. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is a um, it's a podcaster competition podcast. Yes. Competition. I don't know, did I say enough words? It's American um, Idol for podcasters, only without exactly. manufactured drama. We are hard at work behind the scenes working on that show. We have 12 people selected and they are working and we are basically doing the editing so we can get it out on time. And so I have no announcement on to when the first episode is going to come out. But if you're really excited, if you become a patron, uh, you can get the episode before anyone else in the whole world. Um, but if you don't, that's cool, too. You can download it on, you know, the regular thing. Uh, America's Next Top Podcaster. Yeah, and... Oh, wait a minute. What? Uh, so you think you have the talent. You think you have what it takes to be America's Next Top Podcaster. Was I think that was the original title, and it finally got cut down a little bit. But don't don't forget, for people who don't know, you were on season one of that, of America's Next Top Podcaster. I was. I was on season one. And as a matter of fact, as of today, you can actually find the download for... Uh, season one so you can actually go back and listen to the whole season um, we had some issues with the links mm, uh, okay good that should be back up on the website or you can check the twitter it's been retweeted and things like that okay yeah and, and then and i and was on for people who two. don't know travis was on season two yeah that's how we became friends mm -hmm. yep and several friends. several guests i've had on this show have all come from that it's it's honestly i listened to season one before i ever thought about trying to be on it and I just enjoyed it as a as a concept because I really liked I liked the diverse voices that they would get in there I liked how it wasn't trying to be a competition in the sense of like pitting everybody against each other it was more of this idea that everybody's going to learn something um you know uh Danny Ora in our chat, Amy, she won season one and Monica, you helped her win that. I did. I did. I mean, if it wasn't for me being, no. <laughs> no. 
but it, it honestly is a is a you cool brought me back and surprised the crap out of me by the way <laughs> like i wasn't expecting to come back and i was like oh she remembers who i am <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a but really like, cool concept for a show yeah. and i like the the way that it goes so i'm glad yeah, it, I'm glad that me and Amy could inspire you to become a podcaster, Travis. It certainly didn't hurt. Like <laughs> I wanted to do it for a while, but then listening to ANTP and I was like, I'm going to do this. So, and then I got to be on the show too, which was great. And everybody, everybody involved in making that is fantastic too. You guys do a fan, a phenomenal job. And now that I have been on as both a listener and a contestant, I know how much work goes into it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you're not listening to ANTP already, see, jump into season three and then you can go back and maybe listen to to season well, two. Season three or... hasn't come out yet. Go listen to season one and two first. Oh, OK. All right. There you go. Like we still have like a couple of weeks, I think. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't oh, work in sure. editing. I'm the community manager and social media. Hey, that's hard so, work, too. Yeah, it is. I didn't say it wasn't anyway. But also you can follow me uh, on Twitter. Uh, at Wicked Kitten 13 and on Twitch whenever I stream. And those are my things. Excellent. And Christina, you used to stream uh, on Twitch. Are I you did. Gonna, you're, are you thinking about getting back into that at all? Uh, maybe eventually. It just depends on uh, how I feel after work every day. Work takes quite a bit out of me. Fair enough. Fair enough. But if people want to see the occasional monthly tweet from you, um, they can follow you. <laughs> That they can at uh, Chibi Phelan on Twitter. Excellent. Well, if you want to be like Amy uh, and join our chat while we record live, you can do that on Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time uh, at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And the show itself comes out on Wednesdays. So wherever you can find podcasts, uh, just search for Wait You Haven't Seen. Or you can go to tvstravis.com and you'll find the links to get it in Apple, Google, um, or anywhere. So, and twitch.tv, I do this show. I do a show called Let's Watch Highlander. I sometimes play video games or paint uh, D&D tabletop miniatures now is something that I've been doing. So, um, I am on Twitter as tvstravis. And all my, it's pretty much the place I'm most active. So if you ever want to know what I'm working on or what I'm doing, you can find me there. Uh, I am going to be doing a 28 day film challenge that was posted on Twitter recently, naming a different movie from every letter in the alphabet and then two freebies because there's 28 days. So that'll be fun of fun. If you want to see what I can come up with as movies that I will go probably with movies, nothing that I have not seen before. Or maybe only movies I haven't seen that start with each letter. I haven't decided yet. I've got till tomorrow to figure it out. So we'll see. Just keep an eye on uh, twitter.com slash Travis. And until next week in episode 100, uh, as we always like to say, enjoy your movies. Also, it's crazy, crazy world. But we're slowly coming out of uh, all the, the weirdness. So be excellent to each other, all right? Uh, this has been Wait You Haven't Seen. Bye, everybody. Do you care?
and you're gonna let them. Are you crazy? Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>